Okay, 200 episodes of the Mind Your Marketing podcast. This is crazy. We started this in COVID, really as a project just to connect with people, connect with marketers, get the message out there, do some interviews, be a resource for education for up and coming marketers and other executives. So wild, we're at episode 200. And I wanted to take the chance here to actually just sit down and talk through, hey, what are the lessons from doing 200 podcasts? What have I learned not only on air with guests, but you know, after the interview, when I sit with the guests and we talk off air, maybe about you know some things that they can't say publicly, but are, are willing to share privately. I'm not going to say any names or what have you. But I wanted to go through eight lessons that I think have been really, really cool to kind of like learn personally from hosting this show and putting together 200 episodes of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. Before we hop in, I'm Jordan Shelton. I am the founder of Cave, and that's at cavesocial.com. I'm also the co-founder at High Class, our education platform, which is hyclass.co. You can go check out our online courses and resources there. But uh, let's hop in and talk about some of these lessons that I've learned running this podcast, but also just sitting with people, you know, from figuring out how to get people on the podcast. And I want to start there. So we started this and I went, okay, how do you get people on a podcast, right? How am I going to get these guests, these high profile people on the show? I figured that LinkedIn was the best way to do it. So I actually set up a system. I bought Sales Navigator on LinkedIn. It's like 60, 70 bucks a month. And then I made a scripted message that was like, a, you know, hey, would you like to come on a podcast? And then I got my producer to take over my account. And she went out and she actually reached out to anyone who fit our guest criteria, right? So we were looking for like technology leaders, CMOs, people in certain markets. Then she would send me the list and go, hey, are these people we're thinking about bringing on the show? What do you think? I said, I would go through. Yep, yep. It looks good. You know, continue with outreach. Then she would really take it from there. So word up, big shout out to Jamie, our producer. If anyone's listening to this and has been on the show, you probably interacted directly with Jamie in email and you know how awesome she is. So anyways, so we put together a system and what we saw, it was really cool. We were doing cold outreach on LinkedIn and we were getting over a 40% response rate simply because we led with, hey, do you want to be on a podcast? So we weren't saying, hey, do you want to buy social media services or do you want leads or anything like that? that people usually get, you know, in their LinkedIn inbox, it was an opportunity that was really different than what people were already offering. So we did that, got a great response rate, got people to come on the show. Um, and as people came on the show, you know, we started to learn things really quickly. So I had always been in a position where I was the talker, the teacher, right? The person who would be interviewed. So it was really interesting for me to sit now and become the interviewer. And that took a different skill set, which I didn't know would be as hard as it is. And that's to one, direct conversation, but to really be an active listener with guests and hear kind of what they have to say and, and how does it pertain to maybe what the listener wants or what the listener expects when they come to the show. So that was really, really interesting to go through. And that was before we actually got the show and started going. Now, when it comes to the lessons I've learned from talking with people, I'm going to jump into this now. First thing... Everybody has imposter syndrome. Everyone, anyone you look at right now, any marketing executive, any CEO, any founder, they battle with imposter syndrome, as do I. And it's just really weirdly like reassuring that other people get it. So I found that to be very interesting to go, oh, you doubt yourself. You're not like, I think you're a superstar. What I see, you know, certain CEOs and founders, I think that they're just like 
almost infallible. And it turns out, oh no, like they doubt themselves as well. So that was um, nice to be like, to recognize that human moment and the human side of everything to go, oh, okay, this is a natural course of business. It's natural as a creator, as a marketer, as a founder, as you know, a parent, whatever it may be, that people are going to doubt themselves. So that was one. Everybody has imposter syndrome. And just a quick tip, if you're looking at how to fight imposter syndrome, what's really helped me is I'll go on LinkedIn and I'll look at my feed or I'll look around my friend group and I'll go, I never once thought that any of these people were imposters. So why am I feeling that way myself? You know, so just like people don't think you're a fraud. I know we all go through our jobs and we think that, but you know, people just aren't thinking that. So that was number one. Everybody has that imposter syndrome. The second thing was that work-life balance isn't a choice. It's a must. If you don't prioritize your health, family, and make work your end-all be-all, it's just really a recipe for disaster. So we've got some great episodes on this talking about you know work-life integration, really how you can't just flick a switch off and go, oh, now I'm going to turn off my work brain and hop into family brain or family mode or personal mode, whatever. So the people who I talk to who experienced burnout on the show, they kind of hit that the bottom and they maybe had like a health scare or someone in their office had a severe health scare and it woke them up to say, okay, I need to prioritize my mental well-being and I need to look for ways that I can be balanced. So work-life balance is the most you know familiar term, but work I love work-life integration. So what I would say with that is understanding that your identity is not wrapped up in you as a marketer or you as a founder or whatever your position is. Don't wrap your identity solely in that. That is something you do is not who you are. So make sure that you're able to go out and say, okay, I'm going to do other things. I'm going to have hobbies. I'm going to get into fitness. I'm going to spend time with my kids or with my dog, whatever it may be. Um, you know, I don't have children, but I know that that's a very big uh, thing for any of my friends who have kids. It's like, oh, family time is a must. So don't beat yourself up if you have to take time away from work to spend time doing things with your family or friends or what have you. It's an absolute must to recharge and take that time. Next, as a marketer, it's really important that you balance practicality with creativity, okay? Now, this one, I, I say this a lot, and if you aren't able to be practical with your marketing efforts and if you're just chasing the shiny new thing and you can't tie anything back to the KPIs you're responsible for or the MQLs, monthly qualified leads, you can't get romantic about you know how you want to approach those. And what I mean by that is I love brand marketing. I love doing cool things. I love big campaigns, TikTok, et cetera. But if you have bread and butter that can drive qualified leads for your salespeople or drive real revenue activity for your business, you can't abandon that. And sometimes it's better to look at how can we optimize and tweak that opposed to you know, chasing a larger brand play that doesn't really have any action for the consumer to take. So I always look at how can we get, you know, when we do something, if somebody thinks there's something really cool, how can we kind of get three clicks to an action? Maybe they sign up for an email, they come back to the website, they read the blog they want, so then we can pixel them, whatever it may be. I'm looking at how can we get three clicks to an action? Just from talking with the leaders of these companies is if you're not able to connect your work to revenue in some way, there are ways to do this if you're like, I don't know how to do that from a brand perspective. It can be really simple as saying, okay, here were our page views for the last year. Here's page views to revenue. If we increase our website page views by this much, you know, revenue is goes up this much. So I know that if we can create campaigns to get traffic, we're going to see an increase in revenue, right? That's very boiled down. But looking at how you can do that is important and making sure that you're getting the buy-in because when times are tough, and I say this, people might think I'm like attacking marketers. I'm not. I'm saying this because 
I want y'all to keep your gigs, right? And the marketing department, I've just seen it time and time again. We're the first to go when times get tough, if we're not seen as a profit center, if we're seen as a cost center to the business and not something that aids the sales team, we're going to go. We're going to be chopped down. So just really like take ownership. Be proud of revenue. Don't just be like, oh, I'm just the creative. I don't have to worry about that. No, check in with your sales team. Like It's important. And that leads me to my next point, which is your sales team is not an enemy. If you are sitting there and the sales team is pissing you off, that is a recipe for a disaster. They are on the same team as you. Y'all need to work in lockstep. And I know it can be frustrating, but I think this is actually the leader's responsibility. So I think if you are an executive, it's your responsibility to have to make sure that sales and marketing are working together, right? That sales is, they're the ones keeping the lights on, but they need to know too that those leads don't magically show up by themselves and that marketing is working hard to get those sales opportunities for them or providing air cover as you know maybe the sales team goes in and does some account-based work on that side. So they're not the enemy. I think we need to reframe any of that adversarial nature between sales and marketing it needs to be thrown out the window because I think there's really three touch points that need or three departments that need to work together, sales, marketing, and customer service. Those are the three, you know, you're really responsible for the company message and customer interfacing. And I think that if you're not all saying the same thing or singing the same song, you're going to run into some issues. Next. Okay. This is for my marketers out there, everybody. My next tip is to talk about compensation. Talk about it. Talk about it with people. Talk about it with other marketers. Talk about it with people at your gig. Get open and get comfortable talking about comp in marketing. This is the only way that we're going to make this industry better and have companies pay better wages to marketing staff, marketing people is by openly talking about compensation. It's scary to learn what other marketers are making, but it is pivotal. If you're going to go to negotiate either a raise or look for a new position and have salary expectations, especially if you're in a high cost of living city, Los Angeles, New York, or San Francisco, et cetera, like you need to know what the market rate is and what you can actually ask for. One of the things I would recommend doing here, and just what I've learned is like, take the salary range, go find the median, find and say, okay, when you go to your raise or go for your next job, say, I want to start at the median and I'm going to work my way up to the top end of the bracket. Here's my plan to do it. If I get there, we'll move me up to the top end. But I'd like to start at the median, not start at the base. And see if your, you know, if your boss will take that and go, oh, okay. And if they want to start you at the lowest rung, I would start looking at, you know, other gigs. That's where I would probably go. <laughs> All right, next. And this is more for the people who slant founder. If your business is dependent on another business, you're in scary waters. Okay. And what I mean by that, if you have one client that is making up 50% of your book, right? You're dependent now on them having a good quarter because if they cut you, your business is going under. We sat down with Kara Golden from Hintwater. I highly recommend checking out that episode. Uh, if you just search Mind Your Marketing, Kara Golden or MYM, Kara Golden, it should pop up. But she's the founder of Hintwater. You've probably seen that at any store anywhere. And she talks about this and client saturation and really how she banked on Starbucks. So her product was in every Starbucks and how that was such a large revenue driver for them. But one day Howard Scholes, the then CEO of Starbucks calls and he goes, Hey, I don't want paint water in the store anymore. We're going to have our own line of waters. So she then took a massive percentage of revenue hit at that point and realized, Whoa, a large part of my business was dependent on the Starbucks order every month okay, I need to go back, I need to retool, I need to look at my retail strategy, I need to have some diversified income so that one retailer doesn't you know, keep my business afloat. So that's something that I've learned too on our side. I mean, shit, we had a client early on, 
in our, our marketing agency days, it was like 60% of our revenue. And one day we get a call and they go, oh, we didn't hit our fundraising goal. So we got to cut marketing. We don't have budget to finish out the month. Sorry. Yeah, sure. We had three months left on the contract, but they literally had no more money. So I was like, oh, cool. Now we need to replace that revenue. And we were lucky we were able to over the next 90 days, but it really was a wake up call for me to be like, don't put all the eggs in one basket and make sure that the business revenue streams, that there is enough clients uh, or that there are enough clients out there that are fueling your business so you're not dependent on one in particular. Okay. And the last big lesson that I think like marketing Twitter and marketing people really need to hear, and I don't want to be too preachy here because I, I, I'm part of this ecosystem, but we as marketers, and we need to stop caring what marketing people online have to say about certain creative, certain marketing, et cetera. We're not here to impress other marketers. We're here to listen to our customers and actually make marketing that speaks to them and drives sales and gets them to the website. Okay. It's a big country out there. And I find that, you know, I'm in Los Angeles and but like LA and New York, sometimes we're just out of touch with the country and what people actually want to hear and see. That's just a reality. So I highly recommend just focusing on talking to your customers, seeing what they want, what they expect. And don't worry about if you win an award or if, you know, Johnny Joe who works for some massive beverage company thinks that your you know, marketing for your tech startup is cool or not. That stuff is how you start to compare yourself to other people when they're playing a different game than you are, right? If they're working for a massive brand and have infinity budget and a team of 200, you can't compare their work and what they're doing and the goals they have to if yourself if you're at a tech startup with three people on the marketing team or if you're at a CPG product that you just launched and you've got you and a co-founder if you sit there and compare yourself to Pepsi, it's going to cause such a negative spiral, right? So focus on what your customers are saying, how you can make them into brand advocates and brand champions, and it'll go way farther than trying to impress other marketers who quite candidly will never purchase anyway. So they'll just judge and never purchase. Remember that they don't make statues out of critics. So people who like to throw a lot of shade and judge work typically aren't creating a lot of stuff themselves or moving the needle at their company. So that's just something to take note of. So that's it. I mean, those are the big lessons. I really think that from sitting with these entrepreneurs, these marketers, these CMOs and talking, you know, offline, talking around the podcast, et cetera, just look, it's challenging, but I think a lot of us share a lot more then we have a lot more in common than we do differences. And just to reiterate those things, one, everyone's got imposter syndrome. Two, work-life balance isn't a choice. It's a must. Three, just keep, be practical with your marketing. Test creative things out, but really be practical if you're responsible for certain KPIs. Uh, four, your sales department, they're not your enemy. Oh, and I left one out. This is uh, as I go through my show notes. You're probably like, hey, dude, you left that out. I'm going to have to take this one on now. If leadership doesn't believe in marketing, you need to find a new job. So actually, I'm sorry to jump in here and kind of derail this conversation, but this is actually a really important part. If you are finding yourself fighting two battles, one, trying to actually get content outdoor and marketing, and then two, having to try to convince your C-suite that marketing is important, I'm telling you, just find a new gig. You're never going to be able to convert those executives and you are going to get burnt out from fighting a battle on two fronts. Um, so that was supposed to be one of the ones in the list. And then the other, okay, so to get back on track here, make sure you talk about compensation and you're out there and you're talking with other marketers and figuring out like, what is the market rate? What should you be paid? Next, 
don't make your business dependent on another business. So make sure that you don't have client saturation, client saturation. And then lastly, stop worrying about what marketing Twitter and marketing folks have to say about your work and worry more about what your customers have to say. So that is episode 200 in the books. I also, I just want to say at this point too, if you're listening still, thank you. Thank you for coming along with this journey. We started this. I did not expect to get to 200 episodes. I think I committed to 50 initially when we started it. And now it's just something that we're going to keep going and keep doing. And I absolutely, absolutely do not take it for granted that we have people all over the world who listen to this. We actually just cracked the podcast charts in Uganda. So if you're in Uganda, shout out to you. I didn't think our show would make it that far, but it has people in Japan. I think we have listeners in a hundred countries. I have to go back to the numbers, but it's just wild to me to see that the marketers all over the world are resonating with this show. So yeah, I, I thank you guys again. Thank you all. And I look forward to another 200 episodes for you. So as always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I'll catch you next time.